Champions alight tonight, listeners. Costumed rascals egging your houses. All your money spent on birthday presents for your terrible, ungrateful son. He wish you stomped on his head in a hospital 18 years ago. Uh, welcome, guys. It's the er, guy or, you know, whoever. Whoever is our listener. Uh, to the... Um, the show, the good, the pun, the ugly. What's it called? Man, man unmanned, managed, managed. <laughs> Season five, the films of Michael Mann. Michael Mann. Yes, and uh, so we are covering all the directorial efforts of Michael Mann. We started out with his Police Woman episode, and I don't know if you could call some of them efforts. <laughs> and Black Hat, and then oh we're uh, moving from the past forward in the. <laughs> <coughs> We'll get to heat eventually. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just as bad. I did that like 60 times for the Clint Eastwood one. Are you like Walter White? You know, from Breaking Bad where he's coughing? Yeah. Because um, he has lung cancer. Yeah, I will, ha- I, will ha- I will. be diagnosed with lung cancer by the end of the episode <laughs> because I coughed at the starting. Yeah, no spoilers, <laughs> but a uh, special surprise. We have a <clears throat> doctor joining us. On the air? Who diagnoses you with lung cancer? Probably a doctor. Pro- right? m- you'd hope a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> Not just me. And uh, w- one of the reasons we wanted to do Michael Mann's uh, films uh, was because Jack, who longtime co-host, uh, began in season two when he replaced the original Jack, mm-hmm. uh, is turning 18. And he actually, today, we're recording on his birthday, which is Halloween 2021. Against my will. <laughs> And uh, by watching Michael Mann films, we are trying to see what lessons he can learn about being a man as me, as his adopted father, has done a terrible job. Um, yeah, yeah. So he has, he has learned and, some pretty good lessons so far. And me as his future adopted father, Thomas. Um, <laughs> Correct. I, I, I've been doing all right. I, yeah. I give myself a C+. Plus. We we can get that finalized now that I'm 18. Yeah. Um, Let's do it. So, well, I mean, there, there is a bit of a line. Uh, Brian Singer, if you're listening, yes, he is finally 18. Yes. Uh, so he has been clamoring for that. It may come down to money, Thomas. Sorry. So if you have been listening, uh, you, you know the last couple of weeks we've had some uh, terrible phone calls that I have received from... Wait, should we introduce these ourselves before we do that? Oh, I'm okay. Ken. I'm Jack. And I'm Thomas. Okay, good. Continue. We've received some distressing phone calls the last few weeks. Uh, the first one was from um, who was it from? Uh, social worker. I have. I really haven't been following this thread uh, that you're plotting. And then the second one was your, the principal at your school because you pushed a, a teacher down the stairs. Yeah. And then last week's episode, uh, a police officer from Portland called about uh, some performance art that traumatized little kids in downtown Portland. That's right. Um, so I thought we were done with that. He's turning 18. He's learned lessons. But uh, then I received a phone call this week, which uh, affects not just Jack, but myself and even you, Thomas. So uh, it kind of pissed me off, but I'm going to play it here for the first time. And probably the whole world, too. Yeah. All right. Let's do this. Let's play the phone call. I muted the video by accident. <laughs> All right. Let's play the phone call. I mean, the voice The voice message, message that I received. That you received. From it. an unknown That's number. muted. Not, it's not a video. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you who this is because it'll just be all over TMZ. Ha! I am too smart for that. Wow. I, that was pretty good. I turned but off my phone. I am a major Hollywood director who has made such classics as Rhymes with Paws, Rhymes with T, 
Taters of the Most Narc and Rhymes with Lincoln. No, shit, that's the actual... Th- I mean, yeah, Rhymes <laughs> with Lincoln. Could be clinking or stinking. You don't know. So I am lodging a formal complaint about so-called podcaster Jack Coral and his relentless commentary against certain legendary baby boomer directors with pensions for swoopy pullins, reductive and pandering emotion, and swelling John Williams' music. I have never been so incensed in my life as I was listening to this child disparage my life's work. So it is with great delight that I permanently blackball every member of your podcast from everything in the world starting now. Enjoy abject poverty and homelessness, Jack and his enabling pod hosts. I will see you in hell. Probably watching Hook, which I did not direct. (laughs) Whoa. So, um... It's Holy been it's shit. been a fun ride, guys. But we may be guys recording I, this from the shelter next week. I think that might have been Steven Spielberg. No, no, <laughs> the voice sounds nothing like Steven Spielberg. Oh, uh, you're right. Person, unless he started working in a helium factory or something, <laughs> I uh, I don't know. But uh, so this on may a, be our last like episode. On a, a dirigible? Because I think that, isn't that what like the Hindenburg was <laughs> lifted with was. Was Helium right. maybe? And and yeah. much like the Hinderberg, all of his movies have been complete disasters. <laughs> Come on, man. Artistically. <laughs> uh this week for Michael Mann, managed episode five, we have uh, Yes, let's get to that. It uh what what's turned out to be an excellent pairing for various reasons. Uh 1986's um, Manhunter and 2004's Collateral, two of his most popular movies. One of yeah. them very enduring and influential, and, and the one other of them star you have to cruise. endure. <laughs> um, which one do we want to talk about first, Thomas? I'd I'd love to do Manhunter first and just keep with um, you know chronologically yeah. the first one first. Both of these movies, okay. love it. Some similarities, guys. <clears throat> I'm gonna run that through my list. Add in as you'd like. Uh, in both movies, a person with visual impairment is held hostage by a psychopath who is occasionally charming. So mm-hmm. that'd be the Joan nice. Allen character, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Visiting someone in a, in a hospital bed occurs in both movies. Both movies mm-hmm. have animal actors from the cat and the dog families by a tiger ah. and a coyote, right? Yeah, yeah. Men in suits run along a bridge. Yes. That's kind of almost every Michael Mann movie, but uh, uh, mothers give a character a hard time. It's more implied from Manhunter. Uh, you see it more in like the 2002 Red Dragon or the book. But mm. uh, someone jumps through glass, which Vincent does during the, the chase of the DA. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's hospital scenes, FBI agents, unsuccessful muggings. If you count the mm-hmm. jogger and manhunter who gets flipped over. And yes, of course. Yeah. Someone's uh, seated and bound by a psychopath, forced to say things they don't want to say into a receiver. Ooh. And both have protagonists that have to mimic their antagonists to save the day. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. That's a good one. That's a good Those are some right good there. comps there, Thomas. Uh, you also Wait, forgot. I have, I have one. Okay, go ahead. Um, Yours is probably better. Both films have laughable hair at one point or another. Manhunter, there are a lot of perms for men in Manhunter. I don't know what the deal is. It's and then, awesome. of course, Tom Cruise's hair in Collateral. Which is amazing, and it's the best part me of the up. Um, but that's it. I'd say they're both directed by Michael Mann. 
That Damn. is also a good comp. Yeah. <laughs> I left that off the list somehow. Um, <laughs> yeah, last uh, episode, uh, I think the Keep and Miami Vice might be our sexiest pairings as far as sex scenes. Oh, yeah. And, uh-huh. and this one, I think this might be our two most family-focused films by Michael Mann. We'll find out, I guess, over the next few episodes. Mm. That's a really good point. People actually have families in this movie. Yeah. Both movies. Uh, you so, you read the book, Thomas. Yeah, man not, the, not the book, yeah. not the book Thomas, the book Manhunter. Yes, also yeah, by I someone named Thomas. Really? Yeah, Thomas Harris. 1981, his second book. His first was uh, Black Sunday, which was also made into a film. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, this uh, Manhunter, 1986. Um, man had a project that was languishing and turnaround called Stringers. It was a comedy about freelance video journalists in New York. So I don't know how he was going to do a comedy, but that script ended up with uh, Michael, um, was it Cimino, uh the guy who did Thunderbolt and Lightfoot and Deer Hunter? Cimino, yeah. Yeah. And so he began working on Manhunter whenever he got put into place as the producer for Miami Vice. And so he would take off during the second season or at the end of second season of Miami Vice and uh yeah film manhunter in 1980 uh which would come out in 1986 budget 15 million dollars box office well 4 million in north america 8.6 total um so it didn't quite make well i guess it made more than uh black hat but uh, well it, it didn't make a lot initially but uh it, it has certainly stood the test of time as far as people who like that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. How much did it make in North Korea? Ooh, I'm checking here. I... <laughs> so after this, uh, he's going to be a producer for all of his films after this. Uh-huh. But this is also, as his third film, um, he has, on the previous, for Thief, uh, The Keep, and this, they're all adaptations of, of a book. He mm-hmm. says the thief wasn't very wasn't exactly based on that um, home burglars uh, mm. confessions, but this is going to be his third movie, uh, wide release movie, and it's all three of them are part of our manuscript series. Where uh, yeah, there's a book associated with the man movie, and and his next one, Last of the Mohicans. Obviously. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so heat, heat is heat. Heat is actually based on. L.A. Takedown, which he wrote as a TV movie, so even Heat is not based on an original property. <laughs> That's right. How far in his filmography do we have to get? Is it um, is it Miami Vice? Well, well, that first... was based on the show. Yeah, but it's kind of an true. adaptation. That's true. Think about it. Wow. Yeah. Well, and then Public Enemies is based off that nonfiction book. Right. Oh, yeah. So. Wow. Um. Yeah, and he's uh, Michael Mann's kicked around uh, releasing a book that might be like a prequel or a sequel to Heat for quite a while now. I think it was supposed to even come out in like 2020, and I just never really? seen anything new on it. Huh. Uh, <laughs> but Manhunter, 1986. Uh, it's called Manhunter because the rights were owned by Dino uh, De Laurentiis. Velvet, yeah. <laughs> and Dino Velvet, making a leader fame. <laughs> Um, and De Laurentiis, uh, prolific producer, right? He had made Year of the Dragon, which bombed, and he didn't want to have something called Red Dragon, which might be associated with it. Plus, at this time, there was this resurgence in kung fu movies and like this, uh, the, the fear of Asia with, in Japan. 
Um, and so they didn't really want to use the word dragon, which had more connotations in that era of uh, Asia, the Orient, as right. folks like to say, than it does like Game of Thrones. And famously, so, we were also at war with the Welsh in the mid-1980s, and they have a dragon on their flag, <laughs> so that would have been bad for American market. <laughs> exactly. Uh, fun Wikipedia fact there. Um, <laughs> So De Laurentiis originally offered it, I believe, to David Lynch because they were working on Dune together. But Whoa. Lynch Whoa. was too graphic and he wasn't a fan. What? Uh, have you seen Wild at Heart where he <laughs> smashes that well, guy's head in? Uh, where the guy yeah. wears pantyhose and blows his head off with a shotgun? <laughs> yeah. Yes. I've seen that film. Or the, the close-up the, of the, vomit with a fly? Oh, my God. <laughs> well, he instead in 86 would do Blue Velvet. So that's an ice cream film instead. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so along with the title being different, instead of uh, calling it uh, Red Dragon, the book that's based off of the 1981 book by Thomas Harris, instead uh, in France, it shares a title with another movie uh, that has a more literal translation. Do you want to guess what this film is? Je m'appelle uh, Croissant uh, Paris. Mm, well, close? It's, ba- it's, it's, it's so close. It has since <laughs> dead people. So it'd be six morceaux, which would be uh, the sixth sense, is the is the name of what this was released as. In oh, France. so in France, they add the the twist ending is that Will Graham was dead the whole time. Exactly, and only that little boy could see him. Right. Oh, I guess that little boy was also dead. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, uh, with uh, apparently. Uh, other quick fact, and then uh, I guess I'll, for mainly for like the comparisons to the 2002 movie and the and the book, um, 2002 movie and the book, uh, the Red Dragon or Red Dragon. Um, I'll just like pepper that in probably during the plot. But in a 2014 interview um, with uh, the Hollywood Reporter, uh, Tim Apolo, for the Black Hat release, uh, they did a long interview with uh, Michael Mann. And he had said that he was a, uh, a pen pal with this serial killer, uh, Dennis Wayne Wallace. Three names. You got to have them. Yeah. You um, do. Mm-hmm. And he and his girlfriend's song was Inagata De Vida, which is how it got put at the end of Manhunter. Ah. Which might also be the first time that man uses a popular song uh, without it being a cover in his movie. Because you have well, like his credit, it's... double and Jericho Mile, but I can't really think of anything in in the last two that would be no a well known song. It's it's also the album version, which is seventeen and a half minutes long, and not the single, which is three minutes long. Wow, you guys really know your stuff about this song. Yeah, well, they did that Simpsons episode where they played the full <laughs> version. Uh, yeah. Uh, so for Man Bingo, you have a Chicago connection in here. You got a tape recorder. You got someone looking out over the ocean. You mm-hmm. got a, a woman being rescued. You have someone visiting somebody in a hospital bed. You go inside a piece of technology. Uh, you have a diner scene and it's raining. You have some jogging and it's adapted from a book. So uh, you wow. can very easily get bingo multiple times on your card you just need right in will if only will graham had gone into a dance club where everybody's having exactly. a good time and he was glowering it would be the ultimate michael mann movie it's true oh and you also have the fantastic score 
Yes. Actually, uh, you do. I mean, the Reds, right? Um, I listen to this regularly. Um, it's one of my those songs I have in the background along with like Requiem for a Dream. Um, as far as uh, if I'm writing or if I'm just chilling, something to listen to. Uh, so we, we haven't really talked about what, what our overall feelings are about this film. Thomas, um, what are your th- feelings on Manhunter? Oh, I mean, this is a definitely a watchable film. Um, before we get into type, any type of like plot or spoilers, um, I'd say watch it. Like watch it, let it, let it uh, wash over you. Um, it's a little bit more linear than um, uh, Black Hat or uh, Miami Vice. Uh, so yeah, g- give it give it a watch and then come back. Yeah, we'll, we'll Jack, what are your, what are your about thoughts it. about Manhunter? I really like it. Um, it is of the Michael Mann movies that are good. So, like, not including The Keep and Collateral, I would say it's my least favorite, actually. Like, even below, after watching it again, even below the Jericho Mile. And I think that huh. everything about it stylistically is so great that the story is really disappointing, especially towards the end. Like the story is great, but I think that the climax really, really drops the ball in a disappointing way. Okay. Uh, well, I, I'm going to hundred percent disagree with you. Okay. <laughs> I don't think this is Michael Mann's best movie, but uh, it, it's probably my favorite. Uh, it might be that it came out when I was 15 years old and it definitely captures something. Um, all Michael Mann movies kind of capture that brooding, intense, teenage uh vibe where um you're kind of angry and scowling at the world and you feel like you know more than other people um and a a lot of his movies at their best like heat and this one i think tap into that yeah jack um uh, jack it's it's uh, can you remember back when you were a teenager i was just about to say those young (laughs) those young kids these days i mean they think they know everything yeah and i think I think the climax with Inagata Devita is fucking fantastic, and one huh. of the <laughs> one of the most, uh, I guess, awesome climaxes. Uh, but that is the, the problem: is that it's awesome. That's how is that a problem? Oh well, I guess I, I don't know. I guess we'll get to it later. But... Okay, so uh, Thomas, since Wait, you so read, the have book... you seen this? So very quick around the horn, uh, Jack. Yeah. Have you seen this before? Yes, I watched it last summer when I did the Michael Mann binge. Okay. Ditto, but I uh, I also did a Michael Mann bitch for some reason last year and watched this oh, for the weird. first time. Wow. That's more yeah. like a mandemic. Right? That's a play <laughs> on the word plandemic. Thank you. Okay, you're welcome. Uh, so uh, th- <laughs> Thomas and I watched, watched Red Dragon. He actually read the book. So one of the things yeah. I've always liked so, about um, Michael Mann. Have you seen Red Dragon before? Yeah, I saw it when it came out. Oh, I'm I'm sorry. Yeah, it is terrible, but it makes this movie so much better, right? Manhunter? It does, and I think my esteem for Manhunter um, probably grew a hundredfold after seeing Red Dragon because there are sequences that are word for word must be taken from the book because they're exactly the same. And uh, in in Michael Mann's hands, Mann hands, uh, fantastic sense of style and tension and in uh, Ratner's hand, uh, a horrible piece of crap. Right. Um, but my, my question after watching both movies is one thing I've always liked about Manhunter is the introduction of Dollar Hyde um, happens with a character we've already been introduced to, um, the, the reporter played by Stephen Ling and Stephen Ling's perm. 
Um, yes, Stephen Lang's perm. And it, it holds off on that so long, it, it's always a, a bit of a shock when it happens that late every time I watch it. Because you're used to, like the 2002 version, Dollar Hyde's introduced fairly early uh, in the narrative, like an episode of Criminal Minds. Um, structurally, which one does the book have? The Well, the book has Dollar Hyde... Um, maybe a quarter of the way in for the first time, just as a, as a mention, but he has a whole section of the book, like the, uh, maybe if, if this is a, a five act or a four act structure, either the third or the fourth, well, uh, basically the last quarter of the book until the eight last eight. <laughs> we could do that math, Jack. Um, <laughs> no, there's a whole there's a whole section of the book from basically page 244. I have it in front of me until maybe like 360. So like there's a good 100 pages of a 400 page book that are just dollar hide and um, the assistant uh, who's has a vision uh, her vision uh impaired so there's a whole section that doesn't get made into both either films the 2002 uh emphasizes a little bit more uh where you have him being brought up as a uh um an orphan's child abandoned whose grandmother finds him and his cleft palate and he's used to ruin a political campaign by his parents who are running for i think like a setup of um a senatorship in the state um so he uh and then how he is raised by his grandmother in this uh uh house for the infirmed um she's taking care of elderly people yeah. uh so she has money to be able to afford the estate so you only get a hint of that in 2002 and man just cuts all that out to keep it lean nice yes. good yeah you don't you don't really need any of that and uh tom noonan as dollarhide so fucking creepy wow what what an uh, uh, yeah. amazing job casting! And uh, in fact, all the the entire cast of the uh, man's version is uh, wonderful. You have the um, the group of FBI agents who don't really have a whole lot to do, but but each one kind of uh, pops as their own character when they have their little bit of business to do. It's the you classic get, man except thing, for, except for Chris Elliott. Except for Chris Elliott. Chris Elliott's just sitting there. <laughs> I don't know even know if he has any dialogue, but every time it shows up, I laugh because there's Chris Elliott. Yeah. Was he just like just hiding under the seat it. until they were about to say I, I action? I think the year after this, he does, he's in uh, Cameron's The Abyss. <laughs> and he, he has more of a speaking role in that. But yeah, I keep seeing him and I keep thinking like his face is going to get splotchy or uh, what was it like the end of uh, Get a Life, the whole second season? Doesn't he die at the end of every episode? Maybe he'll uh, start to have a cough in the middle of the uh, debriefing and then he'll be dead by the end of it. Oh, boy. <laughs> um. Yeah. Uh, so what's also interesting about the difference between the book and even uh, both the 2002 and this movie is they both also leave out um, Molly Graham, his wife, like their back, their love story in the background. Like that's not his kid. Uh, like that's uh, her husband died. Wow. They end up going to Oregon at one point to escape. Uh, they might not come back because they're afraid of how far um, uh, Graham's gone. Agent Graham's gone. Uh Molly Graham uh, in this barely gets any screen time. Uh, Kim Greist from what? Brazil, right? She's the badass in Brazil. That's who she was. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I think she was also in uh, Chud. (laughs) 
And then after this, it should be from uh, Throw Mama from the Train. Right. Um, but yeah, and that and the book, she uh, whenever she gets taken away from uh, their house in Florida and is under protective custody before she goes off to Oregon, um, she uh, she gets gun training, like a whole day of gun training from uh, her husband. And together, like, and at the end, she's actually the one who kills uh, Dalahide. Like, who fakes his death using the blind woman and uh, some incidental character along the way that you meet 50 pages earlier in the book okay. who's so insulting that, that's, uh, to fake his death. That's similar to the the second 2002 movie, slightly, slightly, yeah. But Which, she's, I mean, she's the badass who kills him. Like, uh, oh. And that's just taken away in both of these. Which, uh, the yeah, the big shootout. Um, at the end of Red Dragon is very similar to the shootout at the end of Collateral. Spoiler for Red Dragon, mm. uh, where they're kind of shooting at and each other. Collateral, Collateral. Yeah, well, they're <laughs> shooting through with the Collateral and Red Dragon. They're both shooting at each other through a door. It's it's actually dumb yeah. in both. It is dumb in both. And so, right. And in the book, it works really well. Uh, I think when we get through to the end and we start to have our full reactions to these films, I want to talk a little bit about the ending and maybe those changes made. But what's weird about Thomas Harris is that he wrote Black Sunday. It, it was a, uh, It's about like a terrorist event that happens maybe in a good year blimp over yeah, the or Super some Bowl. sporting event. Yeah, and it makes yeah, and it makes it make, makes into a movie. This book, uh, Red Dragon. It's kind of lean at times and feels a little bit like the um, Michael Crichton Jurassic Park 2, which just feels like a screenplay on page. Yeah. But he has so such attention to detail, um, like the whole conversation that the uh, agent protecting um, uh, the William Peterson. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, the William Peterson character, uh, Agent Graham. Um that whole conversation when they're walking the walk and before they uh, take that jogger and flip him over his shoulder and put the gun in his face. And he's like, take my, take my uh, wallet, take my wallet. Um, before all that, uh, uh, there is this. Um, uh, you're t- are you talking about the, the guy who is telling Graham? Uh, it almost seems like he's a yeah, shrink. Yeah. He, he talk- they talk about the um, type of Kevlar that he's wearing. Yeah. And that's all in the book as well. Um, the book was actually something that was taught, and it was one of the top ten books, favorite books by David Foster Wallace. Uh, and he he loved this book, and I think the reason is is that there's such a, a strong attention to detail. Like whenever you don't really get this in the films, but the experts, there's like an expert on toilet paper. Yeah, because whenever they take, whenever they thrash Lecter's cell and they come back with the toilet paper. Yeah. They want to like figure out what where that toilet paper was made, and so there's like an F, some FBI dude who knows somebody or uh, dude or dudette who's like an expert on toilet paper. Same thing with the gasoline that the reporter gets doused in. Um, they like take a sample of the gasoline and they're able to like figure out by its ratio, like where it probably came from. So I- which like which type of filling station? So there's a lot more like uh, procedural detail than like man could ever put up on screen. That's done by the Thomas Harris book. He he does a good job of indicating the those experts. Um, and have you read Harris before, Thomas? I had read Red Dragon once. Be- this is my second reading oh, of Red okay. Dragon. All right. Um, and I think I read Silence of the Lambs, but I hadn't. Uh, I'd never read Hannibal or Hannibal Rising or the newest book. Uh, that it, like Thomas Harris was like this recluse into an interview, and since like the nineteen seventies. 
And then, like, uh, he came out with this book that's not uh, a Hannibal Lecter book, uh, Carrie Mora. Oh, yeah, he yeah. He started doing interviews again. Yeah. And I never read that either. Yeah, he, I think Michael Crichton is an apt comparison. They both um, wear their extensive research on the page. Uh, at times, it's a bit yeah, exhausting. I mean, but Harris also has only written, let me see here, one, two, three, four, five, six books. Unless he's been writing under a pseudonym. Possibly. <laughs> Michael Crichton is his pseudonym. Michael Crichton's dead. <laughs> really? Yeah. Did he get eaten by a dinosaur at one of those parks? You know, the Jurassic Parks Thank from you. the books he wrote? Uh, so that ticking time clock scene <laughs> where they have the toilet paper and, and uh, they, they make up some bullshit. So Lecter's not back in his cell and they have to find out uh, what else was written that he, he uh, got rid of. Um and Manhunter is one of my favorite sequences because there is there is a natural tension um, to the ticking time clock of getting it done before Lecter gets suspicious. Um, well, it's also Nike delivery, right? Like every time they drop uh, the uh, – they drop – like as soon as they hit the ground, whether it's the car stopping or the helicopter st- stopping, William Peterson's just like running. Yeah, he's Tom Cruise in it the whole time. And then he, and he's like, cool. You you did your your thing, boom, and he runs to the next place, and it's just like this supermarket sweep style race through interiors uh, with this uh, piece of toilet paper. And not to to belabor the the second version of the material, since we're not talking about that, but that sequence is one of the funniest differences between the two movies and the two filmmakers because there is zero tension in almost the exact same sequence of events in Red Dragon. <laughs> that. And what's wild about Red Dragon, which I guess was a financially very successful movie, um, is that it feels like there's a cast of maybe eight people. Like there's no – like in Manhunter, you still have like the, the cops that are being addressed. Like you have like larger uh, – it feels like a more lived-in space in every scene. Yeah, it's not a movie and world. Red Dragon just feels like it's – yeah, it feels like this anemic lean. They could uh, – for whatever reason, they just don't have extras. Other than Philip Seymour Hoffman as the only uh, improvement probably in Red Dragon from Manhunter. Although Stephen Lang's great, but Philip Seymour Hoffman as a sleazy reporter, pretty good. Yeah? Yeah. They He's s- pretty good. They spent a lot of money on that cast, that is for damn sure. Yeah. Is that the and, one and where... They, you know, Harvey Keitel as well, right? <laughs> I mean, they, they like... It, it reminds me a little bit of what, like National Treasure and that you just have this big cast and then uh, that's what makes your money back is just having enough stars that somebody has somebody to go look at on screen. Yeah. Hannibal Lecter sold. Which one's the one where someone eats Ray Liotta's brain? That's Hannibal. Oh, okay. Uh, I think David Mamet worked on that script. Is yeah. that right? Um, terrible movie. Sweet. Um, but the the book, the book is is a chore. It's like just his research notes with a few plot points thrown in. A lot of food. Right. A lot of recipes. It's basically a recipe book. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. How to that's, serve how to serve man. <laughs> it's a cookbook. Seinfeld. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh so Let me blow off a little bit more of the space dust. Simpsons reference. Um, <laughs> Yeah, uh, one cool thing, one factoid that I left off there, and the difference between these two different movies, the 2002 and this movie, uh, with its what uh, $15 million budget, they uh, shot on an airplane 
uh, because they couldn't afford an airplane. They just rented a bunch. Of, they just booked a bunch of seats and then started filming. And the stewards and stewardesses were like, you can't do that. What? We know 9-11 hasn't happened yet, but you still can't shoot a film on our plane. Amazing. That's some Herzogian stuff. That right is. There. Yeah. That's um, crazy. They gave them Manhunter, they gave them Manhunter jackets uh, as like a consolation. But you have to wonder like, what the fuck is this? What, what's Manhunter? <laughs> I've it, never heard of this. Is it a white satin jacket with uh, red satin blood splatters all over it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They're- it just has tooth marks. Those cool those shirts from the eighties that had like um uh, a side missing from it from like uh you got like bit by a shark is what it's supposed to look like. Uh, th- there's another scene I want to talk about and uh yeah it, it, hey, it, re- it reminds me no you know what we're gonna go longer than last episode let's just go from the start first no, frame well, yeah so first frame you open with this Halloween ask <laughs> POV. <laughs> Which is important because because whenever you have Graham going back to the scene, you're gonna have the same POVs, right? Yeah. So, uh, but that that's there. There's a scene I want to, and I compare it to the Red Dragon, unfortunately, again. But it's when Graham goes to the house and he is looking at the scene, and we hold on him for a a good long time where he's talking into his tape recorder, much like Michael Mann does himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, we hold on it for so long of him talking about it. And then we cut from uh, behind him and we see this horrible, horrible blood spray all over the room. It's a shocking moment. Um, in the Ratner version, you, you pretty much see that from the get go. Uh, but yeah, man, man's ability get, to build attention another... is. Uh... Well, yeah. To go back to my point of like uh, just this anemic cast or this anemic shooting with Ratner. When you, uh, what's his name? Um, I am Jack's angry, whatever shows up uh, <laughs> in the 2002 version. Edward Norton. He just shows up. Yes. He just shows up in, at, at the scene. In the man version, a cop sh- drops him off and asks him if he wants to go in with him. Yeah. Like a, like a character. And actor I think it makes all before. the difference in the world just to have that extra five seconds of uh, some of showing him like not magically teleporting there, but physically having to enter all these places. Right. And it's, yeah, it's the interaction of all those different levels of law enforcement, you know, all the, all the teamwork that Michael Mann loves um, very much in evidence there. Okay. So we open with, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so um, what, what do we haven't even mentioned that it's it's Hannibal Lecter's first appearance in a movie, spelled differently and played well, by Butt Up Buffa. Yeah, with the K. Yeah, Brian Cox is fantastic in this. He's probably the best, my favorite actor in the movie. Maybe besides uh, what's his name, Flamel to hide. Uh, Chris killer. Elliott. <laughs> yes, yeah, Chris and, Elliott. And, uh, <laughs> well, you know that William Peterson. Uh, had interacted with him before that being the Graham character because he uses that tape recorder. He makes sure that he has it in frame. So, you know, he's not doing voiceover because help, help you God, if you use voiceover in your movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, that was my best Brian Coxon adaptation as Robert McKee. It's pretty good. Yeah. I thought he was here in the studio. With yeah. Us. I was going to ask him about succession season three. I was going to turn around and be like, whoa, you're here. Airing now on HBO Max. Also, our sponsor this week is HBO Max. Yes. Go see Dune not in theaters because it's on HBO Max. It's on HBO Max. As is succession season three. As is collateral. Is it? That's... Oh, that's right. Yeah. That's where I watched it. Oh, really? I didn't pay for it. I didn't either. 
I paid for Manhunter, though. Oh, we're getting a bit far yeah. afield, though. Uh, <laughs> Hannibal Lecter, played by Brian Cox. So very monochromatic. Yeah, what's great is, yeah, he just um, in this man version. The reason to go see him is to get the taste back, right? Yeah. Like to get in the book, it's to maintain the fear or to bring the fear back, and you get a little bit of that from Peterson, right? Mm-hmm. Like that weird. Uh, he, has a, he has a shot where you see both of them, but you also have the bars of the cage. And it just feels like, like uh, kind of like in this dream or it's melting together just because of all the lines that are happening at, with the filters on top of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, yeah, it's weird, like this weird fisheye. It almost looks like one of those mystery houses that you have um, where you walk in and like water runs uphill. Yeah. Like it's this, yeah, it's all this vertiginous. You've never been to the mystery house in Oregon? I have. Oh, you mean okay. the mystery house or the wait the one from the supernatural episode, the Groundhog Day one? No, we went there once. Did we go there? No, no. I don't okay. think so. Uh, That's where your dad. You must have been your... the original son. <laughs> <laughs> Jack one. Yes. Um, but unlike um, even the book or the 2002 movie where uh, Edward Norton leaves and you see sweat stains under his jacket. Like, uh, he doesn't leave, he doesn't leave, um, to cool down, right? It's more like he's just there and he's focused. And yeah, there's something about, uh, Brian Cox as Lecter that's, I mean, Anthony Hopkins is amazing, right? He's made a whole career out of, he's being, bought a few uh, houses uh, and, just and being amazing sent out. some grandkids to the best universities playing Hannibal Lecter, I reckon. Made a lot of money. And eating some of the stuff. best food out there. <laughs> <laughs> The best Keontae, which the 2002 movie, fuck, it starts off with so Hannibal Lecter, dumb. which is not how the book starts. <laughs> That's pretty lame. Uh, uh, anyway, yeah, he's great, right? He's in, he's like this soft, intimidating. The whole uh, uh, stick of gum thing is not in the book. It's a Michael Mann. Oh, I love that. I love that. He tears apart the phone and he he short circuits it using the foil. And he puts the gum in his mouth and he's chewing. That's totally. Yeah, that totally seems like a man. Yeah. Yeah. uh, uh, Cox is so uh, assured of himself. Um, Again, not to compare it to Red Dragon, but Hopkins performance in Red Dragon. He kind of playing the boogeyman. Uh, there's not a lot of nuance compared to right. Silence of the Lambs. What what I love about the, uh, his uh, Brian Cox's performance is that he just seems like a guy, and he really just seems like a guy that could eat people. And Hopkins, <laughs> r- right? I yeah. think that's one of the letterbox reviews I'm gonna read later. Says something similar, but he's kind of sleazy almost, and he really seems like someone that if you if he came up to you and started talking to you on the street, you'd be like, oh, he wants to cook me and eat me. <laughs> Right. Uh, I I hate to think what he did to research the role. <laughs> Probably ate some people. No, he ate some McDonald's. Right. He does the voice. Uh, he does the. What? He's the voice for McDonald's. Yeah. Wait for what McDonald's? The restaurant chain. <laughs> it doesn't have a voice. It's a. It's a business. No, it's but like on a... the commercials, he's the oh. he's the voice of uh, the the clown. Never, no, a grimace. Grimace? The Hamburglar. <laughs> he's the Hamburglar. He, he basically oh, plays the Hamburglar as Hannibal Lecter. That's why he was in jail. Because <laughs> he's kept stealing hamburgers. Yes. Yes. Uh, that's the retcon for, for Brian Cox's 
Annabel Lecter. Glad we could all agree on that. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, Manhunter. Yeah, Brian Cox uh, was able to rebound from this pretty easily and go on to do other things. I think uh, William Peterson, according to uh, rumor, at least, and uh, unverified sources, uh, had to, like, he shaved his beard and cut his hair and uh, dyed it. And uh, he just couldn't, like, shake being Graham afterwards um for an extended period of time like he, that hollowed lost look apparently is how he showed up to set every day shit wow that's some daniel day Lewis um, stuff there yeah if only if only he would partner up with man and make a movie um, <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah so grant like that the graham character in the movie is a little bit more intense as well or trigger edged like uh in the book you get away with it by having a, another psychiatrist um, who uh, um, uh, is trying to uh, make sure that he's okay to be at work. He's also like the person who admitted him or t- checked him out whenever he was, he spent his time uh, in the insane asylum. But I think what man does to get away with it is he grabs the report and flips him over onto that car uh-huh. in that early scene. And he just has him like at any moment ready to to either run down a bunch of uh, stairs or uh, uh, an incline across a bridge or to like grab somebody and flip them over his shoulder and uh, be right on top of him or to, to jump through a window. Yeah. For no, no real it, good reason. It is a, 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 a really intense performance. And I after watching it in the 80s, I always thought, well, William Peterson, he's he's going to be. He's going to be like a big star because the movie may not have made a lot of money, but all the right people saw it and it was a great movie. Um, his his career afterwards is, until he got to CSI, is, is not a whole lot. Yeah. Um, well, he turned down a bunch of stuff is my understanding. Um, like made some weird choices and was always really involved with the Steppenwolf Theater in uh, Chicago. So he was doing a lot of stuff on stage. Interesting. But. Um, yeah. and also his, the intensity and, uh, like you said, that hollow, uh, look, he showed up with every, I mean, there have been profiler stories in movies and TV shows. Well, ever since Manhunter, basically, yeah. um, it's been kind of a cliched role at this point, the profiler. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if anybody's ever done it quite as well as, as William Peterson. Well, that that's, I think the main problem I have with the movie is 90% of it is, Besides just how cool it is, you know, it has the vibes. I think that's why it stood the test of time mainly, besides just being a really good movie. But I think that's the problem I have with it, is he plays that profiler character so well, and him and Brian Cox have that great dynamic where it really seems like, you know, it's the classic, ooh, there's a fine line between us, you know? Mm -hmm. You're just like me. Right, exactly. And I think that the movie plays that so, so well up until the ending where... It doesn't go anywhere, and yeah, that's all. <laughs> so you're not a fan of the ending? I I really, really dislike the ending, and it made me actually not like the movie the first time I saw it. I've since cooled on it, and watching it a second time, it's, it's a fucking great movie. Like, it's really good, but I'm not a fan of maybe the last, from the last action sequence up until the way the movie ends. I don't think it's very good. Yeah. You mean the, yeah. when they get to St. Louis? Yeah. Like when they when they bust into his house. Oh yeah, when they when the guitars come back after yeah. the uh, 
17 minutes of noodling. Right? It's That's the thing, is it's so cool. It's such a Michael Mann scene where it's like, it's like, you know, I joke about his movies always ending with a guy going and killing a bunch <laughs> of people or killing someone as, that's like... solving all the problems. solves all the problems and ties everything up. But in this one, I think that they went a little too simplistic with that. Hmm. And I think it, it... His other movies are really deep. And I think that this one drops the ball in being anything less than kind of cheesy at the end because... He jumps through that window, right? He sees uh, formaldehyde, hydrogen peroxide, whatever his name is, uh, about to kill that girl. And so he makes that decision, that rash decision, like you were saying, Thomas, with him choosing to throw the reporter or whatever. Like, he jumps through that window. And as a direct result of that, he gets two other police officers killed. Because he alerts the killer and he gets the gun and stuff. And so I think that that... There is something to be said there for his rash actions and his, like, like wanting to kill that guy being um, something that gets other people, you know, they're cops, not innocent. But to him, they would be innocent people getting killed. So I think that if there was a scene towards the end, which is something Silence of the Lands, which also kind of has a dumb finale, does well, is they get that one last confrontation between... Uh, Anthony Hopkins and Jodie Foster. And that scene is great where he calls her on the phone and he says, I'm having an old friend for dinner or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's like he's going to eat him. Oh. He's a cannibal. That's what oh, the line is. I've gotten the ending wrong all these right. years. It's what? pretty clever. Almost but 30 years. There's no final confrontation between Will and anyone where Brian Cox isn't like, hey, I heard you got two people killed. Maybe you are just like me, you know? There isn't anything like that. <laughs> Instead, he just goes back to his family and you get that dumb shot of them on the heartbeat. beach. Oh, Listen my God. Well, you don't, just get a, you just don't get a shot of them. You get a freeze frame of them while other credits roll the whole fucking time. Love it. With heartbeat playing. I love, I'm a sucker for freeze frames. Uh, so when I first saw this movie at age 15, um, I remember the ending and hating the song hating the freeze frame i've seen this movie so many times it's almost like i don't even see it anymore <laughs> and it doesn't really bother me now but i remember uh hating synthesizer music in that particular song we'll talk about some terrible songs in this next movie that we're talking oh, about. oh fuck yeah yes <laughs> <laughs> but um so jack are you just upset because dollar high dies at the end because you know who also sexually frustrated kept a journal and lived alone the guy from uh, Taxi Driver. Nope. Oh, he sent packages well. to people that weren't his friends. Uh-huh. Well. Come on. Um, Come shit, on. Shit. Um, so he said, okay, not his friends. That means he sent them to his enemies. Yes. And because he was a really cool person, his enemies were the bad guys and they did deserve it. <laughs> Close. Just a joke. Yeah, just a joke. But no, I'm, I'm not. You are upset. 18 now, so you can serve hard time by saying <laughs> some of this shit. I know. But I, I'm frustrated with the ending, I think, because uh, Flormaldehyde has that relationship with the blind girl. And it's almost like they kind of tease like, oh, maybe he's going to, you know, stop serial killing because of this blind girl. <laughs> but when Will sees him attacking her, about to kill her, like, I feel like it would have been really interesting if he wasn't. And he just sees a woman in his house with him, and so he assumes that he's about to kill her. Uh, but maybe Flamaldehyde could turn the other cheek, or, you know, try to. I think that might have made a more satisfying ending. Okay. I, 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 that's completely fair. Yeah. I okay, love the good. ending. Um, it's, a, it, it's a cool action sequence, though, and there's great squibs. So, uh, so this is 
completely really non-essential other than Michael Mann's stylistic flourishes and uh, set decoration by the guy who did most of his early movies. And Dante Spinotti is the cinematographer who also did Red Dragon, weirdly enough. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, Dollar Hyde or Formaldehyde's kitchen table in his kitchen chairs. Every time we'd go there, I was like, God, man, those are fucking great. Yeah. (laughs) He had a great taste. Dollar Hyde, Formaldehyde, whatever his name is. Um, Great looking place. Yeah, which is wild because in the book, it's like this old mansion. Um that uh has like this basement where dynamite is and this upstairs where he lifts weights and like the middle section is the only <laughs> section that reba the the uh um vision impaired woman uh goes to wait he has dynamite <laughs> in the basement like people yeah. under the stairs <laughs> <laughs> some gold coins probably <laughs> down there. yeah um or at least the uh yeah it's wild that dante spinotti who also did Last of the Mohicans Heat, uh, what, Insider Public Enemies, was part of Ratner's Red Dragon. But he, I have a quote from him. Oh. Ooh. Uh, let me see. Uh, the movie that Brett had in mind, however, took a more realistic approach. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, so man's version were based on the language of the film, the use of camera, and the style of the movie. The movie that Brett had in mind, however, took a more realistic approach. It was less formal in a way, yet more classic. The strength of Rattler's version is derived from a very good script, a more accurately worked out adaptation of the novel. So that's some bullshit. <laughs> that must have been in the uh, the interview uh, lead up to the release of the film. And yeah, it was October two thousand and two. Not like he, not like ten years later, where he's he's writing his memoirs. Right, his yeah. memoirs might sound a little different. I don't know. Someone probably had a gun to his head when he said that. Like, you know, uh, producer types. Brett Ratner has since been canceled. Michael Mann is still making movies. Wait, did Brett Ratner direct Red Dragon? Yeah. No, wait. I'm a rat head. No, you're not. Yeah, you're I am. Up. I love X-Men Last 3. Yes. <laughs> whichever one he made that I've never seen. Uh, terrible director. Uh, oh, yeah. He made a gazillion dollars as worst. a producer. Um, he's canceled, but he still lives in a mansion and probably has underage hookers over there every night. But we're, yeah. We're not talking about he him. He still probably has an army of rat heads defending him. Probably. Because they want to be just like him. Yeah. Anyway. Hey, quick sidebar. Can you imagine, can you believe that the same Stephen Lang, who's the reporter in this, is the Texas lawman nope. in Public Enemies? Oh my God. Nope. I, I didn't even Or the know. bad guy in Avatar. I seriously did not oh, yeah. know that this was Stephen Lang until I looked it up afterwards, after I watched it twice. He just doesn't look or sound at all like the Stephen Lang well, I know and love. Well, he has a perm for one thing. Does he thing. sound like his voice in our fa- our favorite movie, The Nut Job? Because he was a voice. <laughs> oh, yeah, job. he was in The Nut Job. <laughs> <laughs> what? He, oh, he, he must have been the uh, like the drill instructor type that gets the squirrels. Right. See? I don't even know the movie, <laughs> but I know exactly what part I would you cast You should do a as. remake. You should do a Red Dragon style remake. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, Stephen Lang, who delivers probably the best ending line ever in my favorite Michael Mann movie. Um, Public Enemies. Oh, not Avatar. Not Avatar. Anyway. <sighs> All right. Uh, uh, any more you know thoughts? What, you know what? What? Well... Uh, yeah, I think an interesting thing in this film, um, is, uh, the use of children and family. 
that plane sequence where you have the slow-mo of him having like sexy dreams of or uh <laughs> at least slow-mo erotic uh dreams of uh the his wife uh-huh. um cut with him being asleep on the plane and then he wakes up because his case files with all the murder pictures are, are being seen by some child sitting next to him oh, yeah is really great um the uh in the book uh yeah he's always like it's not his son um by birth right so he's always it's a little tenuous even before he um before he leaves I think that scene in the grocery store is pretty phenomenally good. I mean, the kid acting could be better. I was going to mention that. Because the background changes. That's my favorite scene in the movie, actually. They're in the cereal aisle, and then the last shot of uh, Graham, they're in a completely different aisle. His Well, he has the ability to read murder dreams. His kid has the ability to teleport only in grocery stores. It's a detail for And the see dead people. <laughs> and see dead people. Okay, I didn't catch that. Yeah, you didn't catch that. Maybe next time. He has mm-hmm. the shinning or something. <laughs> <laughs> um. I, well, okay, briefly, I do want to talk about my other favorite part of the movie, which is the scenes with um, hydrogen peroxide and the his blind girlfriend. Yeah. Um, those scenes are really dreamy and really, like, weirdly romantic in a really creepy way and just really well done and that's my favorite part uh, you of the know movie. and I'll, thank you for reminding me there's the scene where the guy um the guy is taking an eyelash off of her and then but it's uh-huh. shot from uh from aldehyde's pov and there's this bright light behind them mm. and and yeah. he's just seething with all this jealousy <laughs> over something that's not there and in a weird way it's it's kind of relatable in a way because you know in various relationships we've all we've all been right. there to a degree, uh, but because we know who he is and what he's done, uh, it creates a real sense of um, dread. It's it like makes it makes sense dread. that he would break the pattern he had at that moment. Yeah. Uh, whereas again, when he uh, yeah in the in the remake yeah, that's in the remake it's literal. The dude is all like groping her and and whatnot. Right. He's a jerk. <laughs> it's just very literal. And I don't know which one is well, closer to the book, Thomas. Yeah, uh, the man version is closer to the book. Um, the like, he is a little bit of a, a douchebag uh, in the in the book, but they play it over the top. Like he walks in in the 2002 version in the dark room. Yeah. Instead of being like, "Hey, do you, could you use a ride home?" Uh, instead, he, he's like, "Hey, you want to do a mustache ride or whatever he says?" It's something like obnoxious, <laughs> and it's like, "What? Where did that come from? Right. Who is that guy?" <laughs> I hope he gets killed later, and he does. Um, <laughs> Ray Fiennes kills him. Um, it, it's, it's weird, yeah. like a slasher movie thing, where they're making the character um, someone that you want to see get killed. So you're yeah. glad when uh, extremely handsome Ray Fiennes with a little cleft palate kills him. You're almost like sympathetic to him. And in the man version, uh, uh, you are not. As part of – yeah, I, I wasn't jesting when I said that I listen to this uh, soundtrack a lot. Um and strong as I am is so such a great song for that moment. Whenever you see the glowing eyes and you have that zoom in while it's a push out, and and then there's like Dollar Hide on the other side. Mm. Uh, like you cut to Dollar Hide and he's in the van, and he sees her, and then he just goes psycho vision. Right, yeah. his hands rip the dash. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, yeah, what does he say? He says Francis is gone. Francis is gone forever. Like the um. The thing that man cuts out is the whole red dragon portion of it, which is fascinating, right? Like uh, that symbol that you see that uh, Graham finds in the tree, 
that leads to uh, Blake poetry, you know, Johnny Depp from Dead Man. Um, it, it leads to uh, uh, Blake poetry and Blake's uh, illustration of something like, uh, I can't remember what that, it's, it's something like uh, the dragon with a woman, uh, the red dragon and a woman clothed in sun. It's like this weird semi, uh, like a uh, woman in diaphragmus uh, material with this dragon uh, standing in front of her, like exposing himself, mm-hmm. um, which is the tattoo that uh, Formaldehyde has on his back. Uh, and in the book and in the 2002 movie, he goes, like, we, we follow him for a while and he goes to a museum and he eats the original watercolor. Yeah. To be able to better control the demon that's inside his head, who's trying to become a god or something in his psychosis, and he does all that so he can have a longer relationship with uh, Reba, the woman who's blind, and is Man also cuts a all uh, that out country music superstar. He gets all that out, and he does like he just has he condenses all of the Reba scenes down basically to a darkroom scene and a date. Mm-hmm. Like he immediately takes her to go see the dra- uh, to go see the tiger. Yeah, that's that's their first scene. Yeah, like uh, it's it's incredible. Like he just he does like in twelve minutes he he brings he brings everything down to that sense of like maybe yeah. this person's gonna be able to save him. That's so cool. Yeah, yeah, I love that introduction to her too because the first time that I uh, saw it, I didn't know that she was blind for like a really long time. And I think that... And that's not because Joan Allen's a bad actress. No, it's not. It's, yeah, it's, I don't know. It's just, like you said about introducing all the elements so late into the story or holding off on them, I think it does that really well, especially with their relationship. Whoa. Do you think in Face Off she is blind? And that's why they do that face thing with the hand? Holy shit. Oh, yeah. Yes. That would make sense. Oh, my goodness. Hey, somebody see if Joan Allen is a sighted person or not. <laughs> Did she? And she kept checking for uh, a Cliff Palette scar. That's what she was doing. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, and it's great because she's she mentions that she knows people with um, speech impediments. She's worked with them in the past. Like it, all that comes out in the dark room. It, and yeah, uh, very good writing between her and Noonan. It's it's an incredible scene. Uh, I think uh, a lot of uh, very tight, very concise writing by man. Um, sometimes when man works from his own scripts, uh, it's pretty marvelous. We will see man when he's working from somebody else's script where it perhaps is not as marvelous. We will, yeah. Um, do you have Google huh. reviews for this? Yes. Um, or letterbox reviews? I have, I have Letterbox and Google reviews. I, well, yeah, letterbox I likes to be all over this. Oh, yeah. Everyone loves it on the man bros. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I, I think that this does probably have my favorite dialogue in any Michael Mann movie, though, just in general. Yeah. I, I think all of Michael Mannisms uh, applied to a fairly linear, linear plot, which, uh, Thomas, uh, I really noticed it uh, talking about the Miami Vice and Black Hat sort of uh, almost dreamlike jumbled plots which i quite like um seeing him work on something so linear like this is kind of an eye-opener after watching some of his later work all right uh let's start off with some letterboxed with a letterboxed with apostrophe a d. apostrophe d i think it's probably not it uh mike mike gin gives Man hunter four stars and he says hopkins and Mick- mickelson both play lector with poise and polish but brian cox seems like he actually eats people 
<laughs> uh, Comrade U gives it five stars. Can we talk about how David Fincher has made an entire career out of ripping off this movie? <laughs> that is a discussion for another day. <laughs> okay, let's move to some Google.com reviews. Google.com. Connor Peden gives it five stars. Man doesn't do eat. He was called L.A. Takedown, which was the original film, and he complained Heat was a copy. If you could run side by side, no wonder why he wasn't happy. That's for Manhunter? <laughs> That's for Manhunter. Okay, we'll get into that in a couple episodes, I guess. Daryl Hicks gives it three stars. My biggest complaint is all the background music. You can barely hear the speaking. Big boo to the sound producers. Big boobs? Big boo. Oh, not interested. What an asshole. Who doesn't like the, the music in this movie? I love it. And who wants to hear people speak anyway, clearly? Yeah, right. Christopher Nolan uh, took that review and like, you know what, fuck this ran guy. With it. <laughs> <laughs> and Calm Beast says, gonna see it. Hope it's good. And? <laughs> no <laughs> update! That was, oh. that was uh, two years ago. Can someone check in on Calm Beast, see if they're so, okay? So, let's calculate how many times you could have possibly watched that in two years. Are you going to do math? If only we had a search engine to do that with. So 12 times a day times 365 (laughs) equals times 2. Calm Beast could have watched Manhunter 8,760 times since that review was written. Wow. Do you think he just did like you, Jack, and fell asleep during it? It's a rip and wrinkle scenario. (laughs) He's going to wake up and he's like, what happened? What did I miss in the past two years, guys? Anything? Is Rip Van Winkle the one where the guy ages backwards? (laughs) Yes. The Curious Case of Rip uh-huh. Van Winkle, nice. directed by David Fincher. Oh, right. So he ripped <laughs> off this review for that movie. Yeah, Curious Case of Benjamin Button is clearly a remake of Manhunter. So I had, well, here's my, <laughs> I had a question about the ending as well. Um, and bring up Fincher, I think, opens the door to it. And that is, in the book, in the 2002 movie, you have a twist ending. Right? Where you think the Dollar Hide is dead and he's not, he's faked his death, and in the final act, just like he comes back. Yeah, or Halloween. Or any insert movie here. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know, I don't know when this movie came out. It doesn't seem like those twist endings were as, outside of a horror movie, were as interesting or as prevalent uh, as you'll get later whenever you start to get like a whole genre of Fake kiss endings. the girl. Right. Yeah. Um, which point. Fincher, I think, help. I always think he like initiates those. Whenever I think of like uh, starting with seven, uh, the, with uh, the, Mr. Cancelled with the box. What's in the box? What's right? in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? Going to the game, going down almost every film up until I mean, for for many, uh, for the whole like end of the nineties, right? Like the twist so in the I game is that it was a game all the time, and the twist in Fight Club is that they're the same person. Uh, well, the twist what? in Zodiac is there. There is no twists, and the answer you were looking for is no longer. Oh yeah, what the story is about. That's true. So I wonder. I wonder if it was too premature for man to have a twist, or if man's like twists don't work. Twister for twists. Yeah, um, this is stupid. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna do my man. I'm thing. just gonna. I'm gonna do my man thing, which is a lot like the keep. I'm just gonna have. Uh, Glenn and the the bad guy like shoot each other with lasers. I'm just gonna have this guy jump <laughs> through a window and we'll be done with it. That's primal forces are coming together. They're gonna shoot each other through a door. 
All right, uh, let's take a quick break, I say, and then get back to collateral. Yeah, yeah. Is that, is that cool? Yeah. That okay, Thomas? Yeah. All right, quick break. Yeah. Um, we, while, while we're waiting on him, would you take a look at his napkin there with his notes? I could and scan the temptation. <laughs> I want to take a quick look. Shit, it's your address, oh, Thomas. Ah. <laughs> oh! Oh, I had something cool that I wanted to share with Jack about the infrared. I'm sorry, the UV lights, uh, both in the book and the two movies. But oh, Andy says, uh, Andy says, hey. Oh, um, that's all. That's for horses. Oh, okay. No, she didn't say anything um, else. She said, hey, hey. Oh, okay. I guess she's not hanging out with uh, my missus. Oh, uh, her her saints are playing uh, the Tom Brady's right now, so very intense around here. Uh, she's Catholic. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I was yeah. just gonna make like okay. a Peter joke. Is that is that one of the saints? Peter, Saint Peter, Saint Peter. Yeah, Saint George just, and the Dragon. I was just down there in New Orleans with a, I wore a Forty Nine er shirt a couple days and uh, all kinds of shit. Friendly shit, much more friendly than Seattle Seahawks fans. Fuck those guys. Y'all hear about the Seattle freeze? No. People in Seattle are really mean. Oh, yeah, I knew that. Yeah. Seahawks fans. Suck. Anyway, this is a movie Um, podcast. Uh, Are we back? And we're back. back. And we're back. We're back. Hey, um, speaking of David Fincher, I thought about David Fincher when thinking about our next movie, Collateral. Uh, David Fincher, throughout his career, has had the ability to turn not very good scripts into pretty entertaining movies. Um, and I was thinking of Michael Mann and all his visual skill and acuity and his complete inability to turn a terrible <laughs> script into a good movie, uh, which would huh. be collateral. Well, <laughs> wow. Wait, I uh, thought I we're going to disagree. On I this. thought you liked collateral. Uh, so this is crazy. Okay, First, first, did you, have you seen it before? I yes. saw it in theaters, man. I'm a I'm a, a man boy or man fan or man man or whatever you want to call me. Man blah, yeah. Yeah, I, I love Michael Mann. So I saw this when it came out. I was like, uh, Tom Cruise with gray hair shooting people. Jamie Foxx is going to be great. Great looking movie. Don't get me wrong. Uh-huh. Uh, but it, It's a pretty... Uh, oh, but. There's no but. I think <laughs> there is a... Stop there in the podcast. A big so next week, we'll this go ahead and we'll be huge, covering... <laughs> great ass. <laughs> <laughs> So the the original script was called The Last Domino. What the fuck is it, like and, the pizza chain? And it took place <laughs> Yeah, the Domino's <laughs> who uh fills in potholes. Yeah. <laughs> as part of a public service. Yeah. It was originally gonna have Adam Sandler as uh, and who? the to, as the to, as the Fox <laughs> character. Okay. Driving around. It was gonna take place in New York. He was gonna be, of course, Jewish instead of black. And um Shit, who was who else was attached? Was somebody else who was attached? Russell, Russell Crowe was, was attached. Be... Yeah, it was period. Russell Crowe. Yeah, because they came attached. off of the Insider. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Man said that he rewrote a lot of it, but this is the first film of Man's. The second one's going to be Black Hat that he doesn't have a writing credit on. Um, oh. to his credit. <laughs> yeah, thank God. I, I would not admit to any. So this movie made a shit ton of money. One of his most financially successful films, if not most. Um. But watching it, God, it's so fucking stupid. It's the worst. It is so terrible. Okay. Uh, so I, I, and, let's, and, give, let's give some background before we give some Okay. Okay. 
Okay. I don't know who did research on this, but I have I a little bit because he was going to do, ro- are you talk about robbery homicide division where he's coming out of? That, yeah, that was a TV show with Tom Sizemore that um, I think was famously shot on digital very oh, I early. Love Tom Size uh-huh. Dog. Yeah. Um, it wasn't a bad show. Really? It, yeah, it certainly got canceled because Tom Size Dog uh, was arrested <laughs> for domestic battery in December 11th, 2002. Never mind. I take back what I just said. <laughs> just put a D at the end of love. Loved. Loved him before the, before the battery. Yeah inexcusable but yeah this is i mean that i think helped inspire the move to digital yes definitely i think man he was definitely uh working through some stuff there technically anyway and uh so michael mann uh wrote these long uh histories of each character and their past and what they do when they're not in the movie um a ton of background for jamie fox's character and um Tom Cruise's character. We talked about that. Yeah, we talked about that in the Fox News podcast, which we had to take down because even though we had double X's, people got confused. Yes. Um, God, I, 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 watching this movie, I was just like, Michael Mann applies so much uh, like technical know-how and how uh, different arms of law enforcement. Uh, interact with criminal enterprises. He has like all this knowledge, and we saw a lot of that in um, Miami Vice, which we watched last episode, and even in Manhunter, which we just watched. Um, but it's at the service of such an insipid story that makes no sense on almost every level. Um, I wrote in my notebook what that are you- this this was like this would be like if they're making a a Yogi Bear movie. And, and, um, you know, it's a kid's cartoon, but they hired Michael Mann to make it. And because he's Michael Mann, he, he casts the, um, he casts the bear that ate Grizzly Man. So you have all of this realism. What the fuck are you talking about? Applied to something <laughs> stupid. This, this, this is a movie that needs a, a, is, a terrible is part of director. Is your dad's face drooping right now? No, this is a movie that needs a terrible director. We that need understands. Yogi Bear in the movie. <laughs> Yogi Bear Gremlin. In the movie. Yeah. Anyway, I... I No, I think you're right, though. I completely agree. It's so fucking stupid. And this was... So this was the end of my, uh... My, my, uh, Summer of Man. Uh Uh-huh. And I think the reason I didn't watch a single Michael Mann movie for an entire... (laughs) Almost an entire year until we did this podcast is because of how much I fucking hated this. And what I don't think it's that bad watching it a second time, but I think what makes me so mad is so much of it is great. But it's just the stupidity of the story weighs everything down, and also the music choices. Wow! So, uh, so there are things I like about this. I love the way it looks. This is a beautiful looking movie. Um, L.A. has rarely looked as enigmatic and cool as it does here. And neon and blue and green and. I love Jamie Foxx. I love Tom Cruise. I think they give it their all in this movie. This is probably besides Eyes Wide Shut, my favorite Tom Cruise performance. Yeah, they they give it their all, but so, again, it's at the service of something. Well, that what is about ridiculous. War of the Worlds? Oh my god! He just came off a of world of the world, so he was worst movie ever made. Time. Imagine if aliens were big and scary. Shut up. Okay, well, guys, well, guys, <laughs> we go through the. Maybe we we cap the plot. You can help me with why this, is, why you don't like this film. Yes, I'm I, guessing you like it. I enjoy. Oh. It. I I I enjoy it, and there's some good man bingo, like you mentioned. There's a vision board, mm-hmm. right? So like Fox has that photo. Yes. Uh, 
just like James Caan does uh, in Thief. You have a nightclub in slow motion. Yes. Only thing so that's missing good. from the last film. You have Jamie Foxx undercover. So he's at least that in two movies. I don't think he's that in Ali. Um, you have a mural uh, on a wall. Uh, like in Jericho Miles, a graffiti mural. And you have somebody visiting a hospital again. So there's some good, good man um, spaces in this. For sure. And it also seems like this movie starts 15 minutes into the film. Like he just cuts out the first act, which is, I think, one of the things that attracted him to it. Yeah. Uh-huh. Maybe. Well, maybe he should have cut out that interminable scene with uh, the female prosecutor. Wait, 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 wait. His... What? I was going to say that was one of my favorite scenes. I didn't believe it for a second. Well, it's not believable, but watching it for the first time, I, when I did watch it for the first time, I was so on board with the movie, and everyone was telling me how great it was. It's yeah. one of my Letterboxd friends' favorite movies. And so I was on board with all of that. I thought all that was re- really well done, up until the point where Tom Cruise fucking throws someone on top of the cap, but we'll get to that. Well, I, I think that scene works if that's just a character defining moment because it, it circles back around and becomes an important part of the plot. Whereas all these people he's killing and she's the only one that he does recon well, for did six you know, hours earlier. Did you know that this takes place in the Curb Your Enthusiasm LA where there's like, <laughs> it's six blocks wide and there's like 10 people. Um, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. But Thomas, you're, do you defend the music choices though? Because that's oh indefensible. God. Chris Cornell, an audio uh, slave. <laughs> sounds like he's taking a shit. I mean, RIP, I know people love him, but he always sounds like he's taking a shit when he's singing. Yes. It's so terrible on this soundtrack. It just like grates on my ears. Uh, I I don't have this in my rotation of things I listen to. Uh, but in the moment in the film, uh, it doesn't take me out of the film. It made me want to leave the room. Made me want to Travis Bickle my TV. <laughs> the scene where he kicks over his Elvis TV. Presley? Yeah. Um, well, it, unlike the last film that opens with weird Ghostbuster greenish font, uh, <laughs> there is no title card in this, right? Uh, artistically Isn't daring. Just start? Yeah. Yeah, there's no title card And you Jason Statham in it? Very so weird. Very weird. Pro- Probably, probably part of the Crank universe somehow. <laughs> I, think it, I think it was uh, the Transporter universe. Uh, listen, listen to uh, Crank One Out, our Neville, Neville Dean and Taylor podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's three movies, right? No, one, two, three, three. I think. No, no, they have they have Gamer as well. Oh uh, yeah, they did Gamer. That's right. Uh, no, what would have fixed Collateral is having the title card after the plot twist. It's like put in, drop in the title card when the movie's almost over. It's like Jamie Foxx picks up the gun and starts running, and then you drop collateral. That would have been good, right? Yeah. Well, I, it would also mean have to mean that collateral made sense as a title, which I don't think that it does. Yeah, what does Man that even Hunter mean? Is a terrible, Man, Manhunter is a terrible title. But it makes sense. Uh, but it makes sense. Collateral, like what? Like what? How collateral damage or collateral for a loan? Collateral for his limo company. <laughs> What's the collateral? Collateral damage for the the, the car that they the, the cab that they hit a deer with in L.A. 
so so let me let me get this straight. Uh, Timothy Cruz plays Vincent, and uh, his thing is he goes into a town and he gets uh-huh. into a cabbie and he susses out what kind of person he is, makes him take him around, do all these killings, and then kills the cabbie and makes it look like the cabbie did all the killings. Because Ruffalo and Peter Berg as two cops, um, who kind of remind me of the uh, cops from a TV show, or Lenny and Squiggy from Laverne Shirley. Um, the, Ruffalo's like, do you remember that case in Oakland where a cab driver did all this stuff? <laughs> and he's like, yeah. He says, well, that detective didn't think the cab driver did it. It's like, what the fuck are you talking about? That's in the movie. Yeah. No, no. Yeah, what the fuck yeah. is he also, talking about? Right. Like as a character, yeah. that's what you'd say to him. Yeah. It's like, what the fuck are you talking about? But, Oakland? I have my own work to do here in Los Angeles, the largest metro city in the entire country. Oakland? What are you talking about? Right. Los that's Ange- what he would have said. <laughs> right. Well, he, uh, only 10 people live there. So that that's his that's yeah, his thing. In LA. That's his thing. So we know that Jamie Foxx is 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 just going to be collateral damage and killed by the end of the story. Oh, I thought the last dominoes made more sense though. Uh, at that point, I'm sure the plot was quite a bit different. Frank Darabont did uh, uh, a pass at this as well. The comic book guy? No, the uh, Green Mile Shawshank Redemption guy. Oh, oh! Uh, he did a pass at. I was it, thinking of Frank Castle, and that's when it was going to be on HBO, and then. Uh, Michael Mann did some rewrites for it before he he shot it. Oh my God, why would you ever admit to that as Michael Mann? Well, he's not listed on the screen credits. People so. love this movie, including Thomas, I guess. But this is probably I, I like this movie. It's one of the most beloved Mann movies. I, I honestly don't get it. So the the Miami Vice thing, I think I was a little confused at first, but in talking with you, with you all on that one, I, I get it now. Uh, this one, I, I don't. okay. I don't. If you if you're a, so, if you're a man fan, this movie is an anomaly. Okay, there's two. There's a few things that are really weird, right? Yeah. So you have um, what fourteen going on forty or whatever. Uh, Hulk um, Ruffalo saying like this reminds me of this other case, right? True. You also have like why doesn't Vincent memorize all five of the people he's supposed to kill and their locations? Why does Fox need to go get that USB so they know where the remaining two are, right? Mm-hmm. How does he know the DA would be in the office? Like, there's a lot of, like, unnecessary weird stuff. But I think uh, the tension of uh, Fox driving this killer around is the, is the heart of the movie and is what uh, people like about it. Like those parts, are, you can you have a suspension of disbelief on, and you get uh, one of the best death scenes as a finale to a movie. Oh my god! No, the, 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 because it has the man lived in quality where it seems like a real real world and a real cabbie, and you know that you know all the dispatch stuff and the things that the, that Jamie Fox was a taxi driver, right? And, um, Tom Cruise had to deliver FedEx packages so he could just fit in and. Uh, you know, they did all oh, that background. That's right. They yeah. did all that background stuff, and it's that great Michael Mann uh building up the world that we recognize and then putting in a movie. But the the um I think that's the word is tension. And comparing this, especially watching this right after Manhunter, yeah. this movie to me has zero tension almost the entire time. It feels so fake and so contrived and really dumb. And and part of it is the ham fisted uh Jamie Foxx's character, his ham fisted character arc is so 
obvious from the get-go that he is somebody who is not able to take that next step and quote-unquote be, become a man. Right. Uh, that you know by the end he is going to have to be, he's going to have to kill He's going to kill someone and it's going to solve his problem. Exactly. And he's but the only way he not... could become a man. And it, it, it's so telegraphed from the first 15 minutes that you're right. There's no tension in it because you know how it's going to end, even if you've never seen it before. Yeah. Um, zero tension. I see. I don't think that the, the appeal is the shootout at the end as much as it is whenever Fox has to go pretend that he is uh, Vincent in that club and the transformation that you get to watch Jamie Foxx do from being this meek guy who uh, who's, who's like big plan in life is to own a limo company, maybe who on his lunch break reads like uh, like uh, uh, vehicle manuals or something. Remember he's in that remember before the body gets dropped on his cab. Uh, he's like he's reading some type of like uh product details for like Cadillac or yeah. town car or something. Um, but he doesn't ha- uh, and he doesn't really get those things at the end. I mean, he's a ruined person uh at the end. But he has this. I think the uh appeal of the film are those moments of him interacting in the cab with uh the DA uh Jada Pickett Smith's character and uh his interaction trying to get away but also having to be pulled back in at the end. I think that that's the the appeal. What's crazy to me is that the club scene isn't the final scene of the movie because it feels like it's going to be the climax. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then instead they run off and I guess there are subways in LA. I've never taken one. Yes. Um, that uh, probably are as populated as those are. Um, <laughs> that... That, yeah, then he gets shot, and then, yeah, uh, the death scene for Tom Cruise is great. Watching him slowly, like, <laughs> malfunction uh, as, like, a robot killing machine. Yeah. And sit down, and then fulfill the prophecy of somebody dies uh, on a train, and no one finds him for, like, two days. I, I think that that's one of the best Michael Mann traits is having, in every single one of his movies, he has those things where it's a bit of dialogue conveyed earlier on and then at the very end it circles back and it is really satisfying and that's one of the great things about him as a writer and as a filmmaker and uh he does it best in public enemies by the way <clears throat> but in this one <clears throat> yes it's true it's really sad but in this one the whole thing of of him saying with someone i heard a story about a guy dying on the subway and no one found him or whatever like the first time I watched this, as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh, someone's going to die on a subway in this movie, and it's going to try to be deep. And then the ending is someone dies on a subway, and it tries to make it deep. It's not. It's so dumb. It's like, oh, no one will find him for days. I... He's covered in blood, and there's <laughs> bullet holes everywhere. They're going to find I him right away. I, I think it's more the aloneness uh, than it is the idea of like it trying to be deeper or the other part to it. I mean, the other thing you get is like Jimmy Fox trying to talk the cops out of it uh, uh, with the deer. Right. And he doesn't do it. Like he's unsuccessful, but you have this uh, Maddox machina uh, where, uh, yeah, there's something else that they have to report to. Yeah. That's one of the stupidest fucking things. And like I said earlier, what took me out of the movie the first time I watched it and made me think, Oh, maybe this won't be good is the first killing where he drops the body onto the cab and smashes it up and covers it in blood. Doesn't the guy jump, I mean, doesn't the guy try and get away and he gets shot? 
He doesn't throw him out the window, does he? Yeah, but that... Okay, but as a story beat, that made me think, wait, this cab is completely smashed up and covered in blood. I thought this was going to be a movie where they're driving around and killing people, but then you get that thing where um, they, they're, like, noticeable now, like, they can't blend in as much, and I think that is one of the first stupid things that happens because it leads in that scene where he says, I hit a deer. <laughs> right? Yeah, and the cops don't believe him and they want to look in the trunk. Yeah, I yeah. look, I, hey, I think if you are along for the ride and you're wondering, like, how is he going to get out of these different uh, scenarios, it's a great movie. And instead, if you're like, this wouldn't happen in real life, unlike War of the Worlds or... Oh, my God. No, <laughs> but... Uh, then, then it's a different movie for you. Yeah. This needs to be a, a glossy, funnier Brett Ratner movie. That, or that's it, the kind of director. Oh, like Rush who, Hour. That's, that, that was Rush <laughs> Hour. Yeah, that's a, is that, he's the kind of director that could pull something like this off. Man is is too invested in what the cops do and and you know what the feds are doing while they're uh, they're looking at the club. He, yeah, he, he's so invested in the realism of that part of the world that the ridiculous plot machinations. Uh, he just does not pull it off. I don't think it's a strong suit. It really plays huh, like a, an extended episode of Starsky and Hutch. If you look at Peter Berg. And Mark Ruffalo is Starsky and Hutch. And then the, the B-plot is the hitman going around town as they kind of solve the crime. Mm. Um, it really feels know. TV level say, to me. It feels more like Bad Lieutenant to me, Protocol New Orleans, in that you have uh, a, a plot. Uh, you have a plot that, wouldn't, that could be a Ratner movie, but instead you have a director bringing their touch to it. Mm. Yeah, and it's amazing. In a way, you could say the same, in a way you could say the same thing. Like you actually have like an object lesson with like uh, Manhunter versus Red Dragon two thousand and two, right? Like you could see the, like what man's deciding to put in or take out. Um, I think that yeah, I, I I don't think that he is controlled by the script. I think. In the, fact, I think the, he wanted, I think he rewrote significant portions of it to make it I, like I think what the, we see today. The plot of the script and the story beats, as they say, and the save the catness of every scene and where it's placed. Um, I, don't, I don't think he. That's the Hunger Games. I don't think he survives it. I don't think save he survives it and uh, man mans it up. Yeah, the movie. He doesn't man it up enough. He mans it up definitely with. I think one of the reasons. The the, the coyote. No, one of the reasons that this movie is so disappointing to me is because there is so much in it to love. The gunshot noises. Boom. Oh, it, should be, it should be such a great movie. Right? The action choreography is, is fucking great, especially that club scene, which is fantastic. Wait a second. You mean the club scene where people are running back and forth? Like in a Hanna Barbera loop for a seemingly ten minutes. It's like, is there one? Is there one exit, and they keep closing it, and it appears on the other side of the room, and they run back. Yeah, no, that's, it's, that's no, what it's, like, it's that old school Nintendo games where it just it loops back around. <laughs> right, those Nintendo games that all the kids are playing. Oh, it, Tom Cruise, and he, this is such. A phenomenal, like, you cannot overstate enough how fucking good he is in this. They, they, I read that his, his draw of his weapon is so effective and good, they use clips of it in, uh, uh, gun training classes. <laughs> no way. Yeah, cause it, it's like, he does it perfectly. He's... Holy shit, the, yo homie, is that my briefcase scene is probably <laughs> the best scene in cinematic history in a bad movie. It's pretty good. It's so fucking cool. It's just so, so you badass. Have Fox, yeah, Fox, uh, um, zip tied to the uh, steering wheel. Uh huh. Yeah, some guy you think is going to help him out, 
who uh, has like long hair, but maybe like a prison tat or something, or like uh, some type of uh, uh, neo-Nazi thing. And yeah, Jackson. And then Tom, like that whole scene's great because then you have Tom Cruise come out, and yeah, he has that wet draw. He shoots the both of them, but then like he picks up his case and without looking, he shoots the guy in the head. Yes, just just kind of like matter of factly. It's like, like it's closing robotic. the door behind you with your foot. Yeah, yeah. It's so cold and. That's the thing that is another thing that is great about this movie that makes it so disappointing is the direction of that scene and scenes like that is fucking amazing because you get the close up of Jamie Foxx when Tom Cruise comes out and he's like, no, don't do it. Like, you can just see that in his facial expression. Like, he is so concerned about these two dudes that were robbing him, Uh but he is so concerned that they're about to get killed. It's amazing direction. Well, and then this is probably one of the funniest Michael Mann movies, right? Because, oh, I guess I haven't seen Insider. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I think it's going to be a laugh riot. Yes. But you have that moment where he says something like, um, Jamie Foxx is like, well, just let me go. And and uh, Vincent says, what? Uh, you promised not to tell anybody, right? Get in the fucking car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there, <laughs> the <whole> th- <laughs> there are tons of great snippets of dialogue in here that were really memorable even after the first time seeing it. Like, one thing that's really a uh, standout, I think, is when the cops stop them for the uh, the deer that they hit. Uh-huh. And um, uh, Jamie Foxx is going to tell them, and Tom Cruise, he says something like, like these guys have families. And so it's really just cold and maniacal, and you can tell that Tom Cruise's character is, like, having fun with this. And, I don't know, it's little details like that that are so well, good, it would be better in a oh, better movie. Okay, so... Uh, what do you weigh in, given that you don't like this movie or how outlandish it is, that Tom Cruise and Fox, uh, Vincent and Max, go to visit uh, Max's mom in the hospital to make sure that he hasn't, like, ruined his routine? Boring, dumb. No, I, that, okay, so I'm going <laughs> to differ with you there, because it pays off, because they're not going there to visit the mom, they're going there to give Vincent an extra level of control over Max, because uh-huh. now he has, I can kill your mom now. Right. So yeah. in the end, it's like something nice and almost innocuous, but then it it turns out that he really had in, an insidious, right? Because you know his his whole plan of going to different cities and having a cab driving around <laughs> kill people and <laughs> an Uber driver take him around so he could kill people. No, yeah, it's. I guess maybe I just wish that they were more like friends in this, and that it ended with them being best friends. <laughs> Like that's that's my main problem with Heat, right? Is that Al Pacino kills Robert De Niro at the end. Spoilers, sorry. And what I love about that movie is Robert De Niro's character, and I want him to get away, or I want him and Al Pacino to like be best friends forever. Yeah. And so the ending of that movie is sad to me. So maybe I just wanted them to be best friends in this. I don't know. Maybe drive limos together. Yes. Yes. Um, Javier Bardem scene, good or bad. Uh, for such a short scene, he practiced his English, which still wasn't very good back then, with a uh, a Mexican inflection on his native Spanish because he's from Spain. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I was surprised when he showed up watching it a second time because I forgot he was in it. Yeah, <laughs> um, it's kind of kind of wasted. Yeah, and you got Tom Cruise, Javier Bardem, and Jamie Foxx in the same movie, and Fox and Bardem have one scene together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of a waste. Uh, there's an Eastwood connection in this. <clears throat> do you want us to guess? Yeah. Thomas, do you have any clues? Um, 
I'm I'm coming up blank. Oh my god, you guys, it's Charlie Parker. They mentioned Charlie oh, Parker. Yeah. Bird. Ah. That is one of my favorite scenes in the movie. It doesn't make any sense and it's totally dumb, but I kind <laughs> of love it. Yeah, isn't that the guy who plays uh the lieutenant in the Miami Vice? The jazz club owner? Yeah. Bear, uh Barry Shabaka Henley. Yeah. Yeah. Who, but- who was also, I think, in that television series, um, they got cancelled because Jack's favorite person beat uh, uh, his wife or somebody. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Barry Shabaka Henley is also in uh, Robbery Homicide Division, which, like, the first episode of that, apparently, I've never seen any of it, was a big disappointment for people because they don't solve the crime. <laughs> just like Twin Peaks. Hey. But yeah. just the first episode, though, they're like, hey, here's what we're going to set out to do. And like, oh, we don't. Okay, that's life. <laughs> But yeah, you'd think that maybe Vincent's going to let um, Daniel, the trumpet player and owner of the club, go. Um, and it seems like he, like, yeah, it seems like he can't, He wants to, but I don't know. Has to do his job because that's what he's been hired to do. He's a classic man character. Like, he is his job or something. You yeah. always say that. I do. But it's almost a twist on that Michael Mann character archetype because in this one, he's the bad guy. You know, it's like he has to do his job, but his job is going around murdering people. Um, I love the plot twist. I think this is Wait, one of my the plot twist. The twist where it turns out his last victim was uh, the girl from the. You like that? I think it's one of the best yeah. plot twists of all time. <laughs> Whoa, what? <laughs> See, okay, I kind of seem like I like this movie. I. I really don't, but, like, I think it has so many good elements that the bad elements make me not like it as much. But what a great twist, right? It makes no sense. Why was he there? Why was he there earlier? Why was he there earlier? Why was who there earlier? Why was Tomothy Cruz there earlier? Because he is scoping out the location, and then that is why he gets into Jamie Foxx's cab. It's a more complicated building, so he had to... No, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't doesn't (laughs) make sense, but it's cool. Maybe there were too many people there at that time to kill her. He didn't even see her. Maybe he was he still, didn't I don't know. I don't it know why he didn't. He knows no that she's going to be sense. there as opposed to her house that late at night. Oh, do you know that uh, <laughs> later in the when he steals the guy's phone and he's calling her from that rooftop and saying, "Oh my God, he's in the building with you. He's right next to you." Oh my. Oh wait, no, that's a coat rack. Um, the <laughs> building he's standing on is the building that the Secret Service owns or runs or rents or whatever they do. Uh, and uh, Michael Mann had to do a lot of cajoling in order to get them to let them shoot there. Wow, like the Russian Secret Service, or well, it's the American Secret Service. So, same so the Russian, yeah. <laughs> you know who I think Clint Eastwood works for in Speed Zoo? Yes, isn't that the Secret Service? No, it's yeah, the John Malkovich and... one. Yeah, John Malkovich. Yeah, but... in the Line of Fire. Oh, that was in Speed. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's right. In the Line of Fire, he works for the Secret Service. Yeah, both good movies. No. Um, and also, uh, some of the shots, like they, uh, Man talks about in the commentary, he could never do that um, shot of deep focus with um, you see Cruz and then he moves out of frame and then you can see Jamie Foxx in the far distance mm-hmm. uh, just with standard film. So, I mean, right. it's, it's part is, is starting of his addiction <coughs> to digital photography. Yeah. Which, you know, isn't as good as his film era, but he did do his best movie while shooting digital, so. Um, Miami Vice, I agree, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I 
So I think part of the reason that I, I dislike this movie so much is that, uh, like Jack is saying, there, there's so much where I really want to like it. Because there's so much yes. of it that, man, that's that, that this should be the total, this is like Pacific Rim. This should be the best movie ever. Well, Pacific Rim is good though. Yeah, shut up. Um, but it's just not. It's, it's so dumb. I, I just, it's I, dull. It's really dull. And for a movie with this much killing and, and driving around and tension, uh, the forced uh, bits of character interaction and character development, it just really falls flat. Yeah, uh, Fox's character development in this, I think this is maybe where we really disagree, Thomas, the two of us and you, is really forced and really bad and doesn't really make sense. Yeah, and uh, like I said earlier, it's really telegraphed from the first couple scenes, yeah. and and there's nothing nothing from what is telegraphed that really yeah. diverts from. But it. I guess, <clears throat> yeah, I, I guess it depends on how much, like how how far up the dial you want to turn things, right? Because that's a pretty classic or standard, um, let's say, like a Ratner, Ratner Ratner film, right? Like it would be turned up to ten, and in this, it's turned up to six. And right. it feels more naturalistic, and I think that like it just depends on where you fall within that on that bubble. If that's too much for you, or it's not enough, <laughs> the man to right? Ratner so, scale. <laughs> yes, and I think and I think I'm I'm on board for it. Like I'm I'm willing to give it that um, blockbuster logic of of uh, of plot. I think man's too good and to succumb to blockbuster logic. Yeah, and I, think I think maybe so that's too. my problem. Is that uh, he seems better than, and his direction and making of this movie is better than the the movie itself. It's really weird. It's it's a really odd movie where um the direction is so great and so consistent, and it's maybe even besides Heat, maybe even Man's best looking movie, maybe his best looking. I mean, you you could turn the sound off and put some music on, maybe put on the Manhunter soundtrack and there watch this movie, and it would be amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I love the colors and the sort of almost faux grainy look it has, but yeah, just, yeah, there's so much about it that is just really dumb. So the, the main, uh, original cinematographer quit. Really? Yeah. Like, yeah. Three weeks in. And then, uh, yeah, yeah cause he was, cause man is famously difficult to work with. Um, all the best are. Okay. Yeah. It, it may have been his transcribed, uh, uh, tape recordings that he got every morning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, should we talk about the finale though on the fucking subway? I, you know, the... I, I don't. I love <laughs> scenes on trains going through cars as much as anybody you'll ever meet. Uh, this one just doesn't really work for me that much. Watch uh, the American Friend for a good one. Yeah, that's one of my favorites. Yeah. Um, Thomas, how could you defend the fucking shooting at each other blindly through a door? Or I mean, Joan Allen Lee through a door. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I guess that's how it happens in real life. (laughs) You know, Tom Cruise never shot live animation until he got, um, was practicing for this film. Yeah. And, uh, uh, so you, you could see, you know, the pattern that Mark Ruffalo sees in that weird fifth floor morgue at that hospital. Mm-hmm. I, I don't, I've never heard uh-huh. of a morgue on the fifth floor, but he magically sees the guy. He just happens to see the guy who has the yeah, two in the chest. The and then, grouping. Yeah. Yeah. Um, right. But there, there are dents in the door that are that grouping from Timothy Cruz. Totally a man detail. Love it. Yeah. Um, eh, I don't know. 
It's that one-on-one. You got to be a oh, man. To be maybe, a man, you got to... Maybe because Tom... Tom what? Tom Cruise was shooting upwards? <laughs> no, that's a high <laughs> joke in there. Because he's short. Um, yeah. Man says he's normal height. Uh, <laughs> no way. Well, how tall is man? Yeah. Well, man has reached taller heights than anyone could imagine. Okay. You know, in general. Like yeah. the general with one N. Yeah. Um, I think one of the things I love about Last of the Mohicans, and of course we'll talk about it when we get to it, is it does a really, like it subverts that trope, like you're saying, like you got to be a man and like kill someone. Like um, it subverts that trope by actually having the final battle being fought by a side character who is like 50 years old and Hawkeye not doing anything. And it's such a great twist to the end of that movie. And I think, yeah, and this one is just so dumb. Oh, we have to shoot at each other. Oh, we're shooting through a door. Whatever. I don't care. It's stupid. Good running by Tom Cruise in this movie, though. Right. That Dude little com- guy can go fast. <laughs> Dude commits, man. He's definitely the Kyler Murray of box office superstars. It's a quarterback. He's uh-huh. a little guy. He's great. Quarterback. Tom Cruise is, is great. Yeah, Tom Cruise is a great person. Well, <laughs> I so what does what does the internet say to support me uh, that this is a enjoyable film and well worth a watch? Uh, yeah, everyone on the internet loves it. Are we ready for some reviews? Uh, yeah. So I was really looking forward, like the last few movies, to revisit this one because I think both Miami Vice and Public Enemies are a lot better having revisited them. And I was hoping for the same result with um, Collateral. And uh, it, w- it was actually worse. Yeah. Because I think I've been watching so many Michael Mann. Maybe like your reaction last year because you were watching all the good ones and you get to it and you're like, what are you doing, dude? Right. <laughs> yeah, I think so too. You're, you're too good for this. <clears throat> okay, let's do some Google. <clears throat> My name gives it one star. Bad action movie. The action sucks. How can a hitman die when he gets shot by a normal guy? A hitman always wear bulletproof jacket. This is the worst hitman movie I've ever seen. I highly suggest to watch other hitman movies like John Wick, John Wick Chapter 2, John Wick Chapter 3, Parabellum, Hitman, and Hitman Agent 47. I was wondering if it was going to go with that. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> Does that guy have a podcast? Oh, I, w- I want him About to join us. About all the hitman movies? Yes. Call it, um, who's the guy from Deadwood that was in the first Hitman? Timothy Oliphant. Timothy Oliphant. Yeah, you could call it, I don't know, I don't have a name (laughs) for a Timothy Oliphant podcast. Yeah, that that joke died really quick. Yeah. Uh, Aiden Anderson. Oh, Timmy Timmy Oliphant. I'm a fan. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. Let's do it. Season six. All right. Shake hands. Uh, Aiden Anderson gives it one star. Garbage. Not enough. Enough spelled wrong. Monkeys. Next movie, more monkeys. What? They would love... Well, I guess it's an ape. Never mind. I was going to say every which way. <laughs> um, we're going to do some letterbox next. Oh. Because it's... I wanted to save the best for last. Okay, good. Fran Hopfner gives it four stars. If I had to answer a jazz riddle to save my life, I would die. <laughs> <laughs> Same. Uh, Nick Eusen, uh gives it a heart emoji um this seems to be a very popular review it's very uh it's probably the one i read the most going through the letterbox reviews (laughs) yo homie is that my briefcase (laughs) 
And then up next, we have probably my favorite letterbox review of all time that I've ever read in my life. Matt Lynch gives it four stars, and he says, Man's My Dinner with Andre. Brilliant. (laughs) Uh, What? Because it's two guys in a location talking. I could have gone with that. One of them was a killer. (laughs) Sounds like a French movie. Yeah. The French could have done wonders with this plot. Uh, So we're at the point where Jack... Oh, um, shit. I always forget about this. Are trying to get lessons on how to be a man from watching Michael Mann movies. Um, I think you've already used "Kill Everybody" to solve your problems. It doesn't really work. In well, I guess it could, but I'm not going to use it. So yeah, I I um I guess I'm a, a 18 now. So I uh, I learned from Collateral that so I'm 18, so I can buy a gun, right? Is it? Uh, well. I, I don't think so yes, I can. in Washington or Oregon. I think you buy a long gun, but I don't think you can buy a pistol. Until if you were in Texas, they, uh, the state would actually give you one. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I was I was at the convenience store earlier today, and I saw that cigarettes are like $11 a pack or something. Back when I was a Whoa. kid, you just got a free free pack when we turned 18. <laughs> Morris. They would come to the school and just hand it to you. Right. Yeah, it's like Obama sending you a card on your 100th, or I guess whoever the president is. I, I think I'm stuck in 2008. I think Obama's still the president. Um, so does Joe Biden. Uh, okay, what I learned about being a man, now that I can buy a gun, is always study videos of Tom Cruise drawing his gun and shoot in a tight grouping, two in the chest, one in the head when shooting your gun. Except, this is very important, when you draw your gun... You have to aim a couple inches higher than Tom Cruise aims because he's aiming lower because he's so short. Okay. What about Manhunter? What did you learn from that? From Manhunter, I learned people probably taste good, but you'll end up in jail. So it's (laughs) worth it. (laughs) So I did learn something from Manhunter. What's that? If you are ever in the clutches of a serial killer and he is going to kill you, uh, Jump through his, his window to his favorite song. Um, ask him if he could play the album version because it'll give you more time to figure out how to escape. Right, and then escape by jumping through his window. Yes, right at the climax of the song. And landing on a cab. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, you can probably cut those two together, couldn't you? you <laughs> cut the scene of William Peterson jumping in the glass <laughs> and then cut to the body falling on the cab. Genius. Uh, we need to match these up. Yeah. Uh, so that was great. Um, big disagreement, I guess, on collateral. Yep. So next episode is Ali, also oh, no. featuring Jamie Fox, the first of his trilogy with Man. Um, isn't Ali the last one he did all film? I don't know. We'll find out. And then uh, his episode, that was his one episode of Crime Story that he directed. I think in season two, Toy Story. Yeah, Crime Story. Toy Story. Not Toy Story. Not Toy Story? No. Crime Story. He directed an episode of Crime Story. A great one, too. Really? Probably the best episode of the entire series. No way. Yeah. Well, that's exciting. And where do we watch or how do we watch that? Is that on a streaming service? Um, I'll get back to you on that. Does Does Max have that? Who? Max HBO. Max. Comedy oh, our, HBO. our sponsor. Yeah. Yeah. HBO Max. Yes. Uh, we'll soon be carrying. <laughs> they have Dune. <laughs> oh, yeah. Watch Dune for free on HBO Max if you're a subscriber. And also Collateral. Yeah, Dune, uh, same producer as Manhunter. 
Uh, David Lynch, great film. Yes. Watch that. Um, uh, and special thanks to Weird AI, who composed our theme oh song. Oh my god, what a great theme Love song. It so much. The best one we've had so far. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, what else? Follow us on social media at the Get the Pond the Ugly. Oh, you know what? I had a review for uh, Collateral that was mine, and I forgot to read it. Oh, okay. Okay, really quick. Put on, put on the brakes of the end of the episode. Jack K. 1096 gives it three stars out of five. Michael Mann's camera work, drooling emoji. <laughs> Michael Mann's music cho- choices, uh, disappointed face emoji, thumbs down emoji. That's it? That's it. All right. Way, way to use emojis. Yeah, thanks. Uh, Jack is now 18, so um, he is more culpable for things he says and insights on this podcast. Right. Like violence at the Capitol. So stop calling me, everybody. Whoever that weird director was that called. I hope he doesn't really cancel us. Right. But if we are blackballed and this is the last episode, it's been nice. And um, War of the World sucks and Lincoln sucks and War Horse sucks and Saving Private Ryan sucks. And Schindler's List is pretty good. I, I kind of feel we talk more about Spielberg than Michael Mann lately. Thomas, would you agree about that? <laughs> well, I think it's just a precursor for our four-season... Uh, <laughs> maybe we can stretch it to five, uh, where we review every... We just pair every uh, Steven Spielberg film with every other Spielberg film. Yeah. Uh, so each week we watch and... a bad movie and a bad movie. Yeah, but then we pair it with a different bad movie. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, until we get to Munich. Um, <laughs> yeah, but check us out next week, Ali and Crime Story. Woo! Woo! All right, uh, uh, I guess this will probably be out in, like, November, maybe even late November. Yeah, yeah. turkey time. Happy Thanksgiving, yeah, happy everybody. All after. Read Columbus's diary. Yeah, so this is a special uh, episode. Uh, since it's our Thanksgiving episode, we... Uh, talked about a real turkey of a movie collateral right we're having some family for dinner (laughs) (laughs) all right bye podcast listeners i had to pick up my pen you see i am a fiend for mojitos but i don't know if you know